Welcome to Now I See, eye-opening stories from the formerly faithful. I'm your host, Amber White, and here, me and my guests share our experiences in loving and leaving rigid faith systems. Together, we shine a light on the dark corners of these institutions and share the joys of rebuilding life on our own terms. I promise you'll leave inspired, even if you are a little teary-eyed. Hi, and welcome back to Now I See. I'm your host, Amber White, and today I am so pleased to be introducing you to my dear friend and brilliant history teacher, David Cornett. We met many years ago through someone you might remember, our episode one guest host, Jenna Graham. There is a great story about her later in the episode, so stay tuned for that. David and I share a passion for education. And with the rise of book bans, the Texas bill that would require the Ten Commandments to be posted in public schools, and don't say gay bills, it felt like the right time for this episode to air. There's a common, sometimes quiet belief in many of the stricter sects of Christianity, often rooted in misused scripture, that knowledge is dangerous and to be greatly feared. The snake tempted Eve with fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, so knowledge itself must be evil, right? If a piece of knowledge opens your eyes to the nuances in the world, to people who practice other religions, or to, God forbid, inconsistencies in scripture that make you question the status quo, it must be evil, right? Well, I don't think so. And to speak from the heart, I think the rise of anti-intellectualism in the church is causing serious problems in the world, physically, mentally, and spiritually. I also think that any institution or belief system that requires you to stay in the dark to keep your devotion is most likely a cult that does not have your best interest at heart. Secular college never kept me from the Bible. In fact, we did quite a bit of reading and study of scripture in my literature classes, But the church and the homeschool curriculum I learned from did try to keep people from anything that didn't suit its very particular narrative. And when you really look at that for what it is, isn't that control what should be feared? What damage does thinking that narrowly do in our churches, in our schools, in our politics? Okay. Thank you for listening to my 2 a.m. I can't sleep thoughts. Quick note that this episode was recorded in a local plant shop, and it just so happened to be pouring rain out, and there was some street noise that made its way into the space. 
especially in the first 30 minutes. So I apologize that the audio isn't as clear as it usually is. But thanks to our brilliant editors at Softer Sounds, it is clear enough to share with you. All right, let's get to the episode. Hi, David. I am so excited to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much for being here. I'm excited to have you for a couple of reasons. One, I just only adore you. And two, we have had such a similar experience with such different experiences at the same time. Like we have a shared faith in that we're Baptist, we're Baptist, but we had very different experiences with education, family, and even some of the internal beliefs. So Thank you for being here and sharing that perspective. I'm yeah, really excited. thank you for having me. I'm really, I'm really excited to be here. I don't have very many opportunities to talk about this, and so I think this is a really great thing that you're doing here. I think a lot of people are going to benefit from this. Thanks, thanks. That's the goal for sure. Mm-hmm. So, tell me a little bit for the benefit of our guests or for our listeners. Set the scene for me a little bit. How did you grow up? What was the faith? What was your life like? What did you believe in? Sure. So one of the things that I will kind of say as a caveat, and you've probably talked about this on your podcast before, is that Southern Baptist is Mm. very much a different brand from Baptist. And so I always like to say that to everybody that I meet. You know, in the South, most people, when they hear Southern Baptist, they already have what they're viewing because they've either had the experience within the Southern Baptist Church or they've heard about it. Yeah. And usually it's not super positive. But yeah, so I grew up in the Southern Baptist Church. And I lived right next to the church that I grew up in. Ooh. Yeah. I could look out my bedroom window and see the church. You know, thinking about it now, it definitely played a role in a lot of kind of the guilt that I yeah. had of anything that I did within my house, yeah. right? Like, or any of the thoughts that I had because the church was right there. And so it it definitely is kind of, it's this mental trip that I had to work through. But yeah, I was brought up within that church. My grandparents helped build that church physically and not physically. Like they, yes. Wow. They left their church and with a bunch of other people, Southern Baptists for people that don't know, love to split and they form do. their own churches when they don't agree <laughs> yeah. with something. It doesn't have to be something big. And so they left and they physically worked to build this church, both, you know, the foundation, but also like within the church. So one of my grandmothers was the church accountant for how many ever years? Like, I, I think she's still doing it. I don't actually mm-hmm. know. My other grandmother plays the piano. She has always played the piano in the church. Wow. Both of my grandfathers were deacons in the church up until like two years ago, three years ago. Wow. My dad, choir director, mm-hmm. sometimes assistant pastor. So I am a pastor's son, <sighs> which is, you know, its own brand of <laughs> yeah. you know, mess with that. My mom, children's ministry leader for people that know Awana was very big in my church Mm -hmm. Um, and all of them Sunday school teachers. And so I was very much just kind of, you know, instilled with this thing, this idea that everything you did in your life, you did for the church. You know, we were always there. 
we Sunday morning, Sunday night, randomly throughout the week, setting things up, cleaning Wednesday nights, mm-hmm. choir practice on Saturday nights. I was always expected to be there. And those expectations were huge. And so I was in that small Southern Baptist church for the first 18 years of my life. And that's kind of where things started to shift a little bit, but that is basically my background. Yeah. Mm. Having your entire family generations back. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's, that's a lot of pressure. It is. And it's a lot of, there's this connection there where your aunts, your uncles, your Mm -hmm. cousins, your grandparents, your mom, your dad, everyone goes to this one place week after week after week. And then, you know, there's the ritual of going to eat at a grandparent's house afterwards. It was ingrained within the family. Yeah. So one of the reasons I was excited to have you on the show is that we grew up very similarly in small churches. Well, my church actually had a couple hundred, but it's a bigger town. And we both grew up Baptist. We had similar doctrines that we were taught, even if we had different small things. But we have very different experiences with education. Mm-hmm. So I love, you know, anyone who's listening to this by now probably knows that I was homeschooled almost all the way through. So I was just going third grade and eighth grade. Otherwise, I was homeschooled. And that played a really big role in I probably how long I stayed, but also in what my life was like after I left. And so I'm really, for the sake of our listeners, if you would tell them what your experience with education was in your family. So as Amber said, my church was very small. It's like maybe a membership of, you know, a hundred, 200 people. That definitely mm-hmm. wasn't every Sunday. How many people? And with education, you know, I know, I knew of a lot of people that were either homeschooled or were sent to private Christian schools. There were a couple of my small town known by bigger Baptist churches, but within my church itself, we really didn't have that experience of a lot of the youth going to private schools or being even homeschooled. The thing that I attribute that a lot to is money. You know, in Appalachia, it's in this small southern town where both my parents worked. It wasn't really feasible for them to send me to a school that they were going to have to pay for. And so, you know, growing up, it was the expectation I would be going into the public school system. And, or at least that was my point of view at that time. However, more recently, as in the past couple of months, you know, my parents and I, we were having this conversation and, you know, I noticed on social media that my cousin was asking for materials for her kids for their private school. And whenever I start this story, people almost immediately, I guess, immediately guess where the materials are coming from. So, um, oh yeah, it's one of two. <laughs> it's one of two. Truly. So I was, I looked online, I I saw this post and she was asking for workbooks, math workbooks. Mm -hmm. And she was like, but it's the Bob Jones curriculum. We have to have Christian math. Christian math. What does that mean? Hell if I know. (laughs) I think you're asking the wrong bitch. A bunch of loads and fishes. Is that an exponential curve? Like, what are we, what are we talking about here? Um, (laughs) There's so many math word problems that can come out of the way. Right. Yeah. And so she was asking for this and it just, it hit me in a place because as a teacher, seeing kids, they, they are sponges. They soak up everything. 
I did when I was younger. Oh, like, yeah. I believed everything my parents said to me. The end all be all. Yeah. And that included my faith. Like, that was the truth. No questions, nothing. And so I know that these kids, like, they are not even getting the experience of being taught by people that are probably qualified because I, you know, I haven't looked at their particular school, whether their teachers hold, you know, degrees, but I would almost bet that they don't, um, or at least the majority or some portion of them don't. And so my cousin's kids are not getting that experience of being taught in an unbiased way for them to then form their own opinions. Right. And so all of this went through my head within a matter of seconds over coffee. I talked to my parents and I was like, did you know that, you know, my cousin and his wife are sending their kids to this one church and their one school and they're using this curriculum from a very biased source. Mm -hmm. And my mom was like, oh yeah, that's what's happening. And then she just, you know, kind of went back to her phone and my dad was like, yeah. And I was like, can I ask you a question? Like, why did you never do that with me? Like, why did I never go to Bethany? Why did you never ho- try to homeschool me? Um, Cause I knew my aunt stayed at home for a while. So like, why did she homeschool me? Like what, what was going through your mind? Did you ever consider it? And he's like, we actually did huh. consider sending you to a private school, whether it be Christian or homeschool, but we wanted you to get different views. Wow. And my 33-year-old brain was kind of blown away by my father in that moment. No kidding. That out of this man's mouth came these words that he wanted me to be, to have all these different views, like to get different views, to hear different views. A lot of our guests may not understand what a gift that is. is. That's a gift. Because when you go with parents who are that enveloped in that culture, they don't usually think. They're trying to keep you away from as much as possible, mm-hmm. not introduce you to as much as possible. Mm-hmm. I'm really glad that was your experience. I am too. I'm, I, and I told my parents, I was like, or at least my dad, um, I was like, I'm very grateful for that yeah. because I, I don't know where I would be if I didn't have that. Right. So yeah, it was, it was, it was really, it was a really incredible gift. One for that to happen in the first place. And two, for him to then say that to me, Yeah. because I know that, he is, you know, thinking about, you know, my future and what that meant for me and my sister at that time. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Wow. What a moment to have. Right. Most of the folks on the show have not had moments with their parents. And that's really cool. You got to have that. Mm-hmm. So one of the reasons I really want to talk about education with you is that you are in education. Mm-hmm. You've been a teacher. You're well educated yourself. And so I'm really I have a perspective on education and on homeschooling that is biased by the fact that I was homeschooled and that when I got to college, I had massive gaps in my education. There were things I deeply misunderstood and there were things that I just flat out did not know that most of my peers did know. And so it, it set me up for quite a bit of embarrassment if I'm being honest and like, but you know, there's something, there's something important about learning how to be, to make a full lot of yourself to get where you want to go. There is something to be said for that. I definitely learned it the hard way very early on in my <laughs> living experience. Oh my goodness. But it's still sad to think about, right? That, like mm-hmm. I get to college and I'm like, oh, I've never read a budget. Like mm-hmm. I'm a literature major, I've never read Shakespeare. Like, mm-hmm. I am learning about evolution for the first time. I'm 21 years old. 
to be fair, the micromancer was so excited that I was excited. So that worked <laughs> in my favor. <laughs> it really worked in my favor. And so I'm curious, like you as a teacher, you yep. see your students come in your classroom. Mm-hmm. Do you see those viewpoints coming into the classroom? I do. And, you know, to backtrack to my experiences as well in high school, I I was this I was the student that wanted to always please. Yeah. You know, and I know that. <laughs> you know, do everything in my like I didn't I didn't really care what happened. I was going to get their grades. Yeah. And so it's interesting to look back like how ingrained I was in the Southern Baptist Evangelical mindset that I was still that way, that that same cousin that actually sent his kids, um, is sending his kids to a grade school. I, I was told stories from my grandparents and my uncles and my mom, like, you know, when he got to biology and they got the evolution unit, he said he was sitting out in the hallway and he was not going to learn. And how embarrassing that job. I, you know, and that he had to make that choice in the first place is really, really sad that he felt like he had to make that choice. Yeah. And my parents were like, if that's what you want to do, we would support you. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that is not what I want to do because I don't want a bad grade, <laughs> you know, and not for any like upstanding moral reason. I don't want to. Yeah. And that was, I kind feel of that, you know, I do. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I, I have those students, I have those students that are willing to learn because as a history teacher, we go through, you know, in history, there's some really not great stuff that we have to talk about that is directly impacted by religious organizations. Yeah. And so a lot of students, you know, you have the students that are just willing to learn and willing to go with it, but then you will have students that push back, which is great. Yeah. You know, I, I remember it is a great discussion. Um, One of the formative moments for me at my high school was I was in a debate. I don't remember the subject of the debate at all, Mm -hmm. but I was in a debate class with one of the, my favorite teachers. I respected the hell out of her. She, we, we were having these conversations and I said something, I again don't remember what I said, but I said something along the lines of that at least implied or inferred that Democrats would not go to heaven or Democrats could not be Christians Fascinating. because that's what I believe. Right. And I, I have know? been through that phase. I also believe that. Firmly in the George Bush era. Baby, yeah. baby Bush is what I call it. George was baby Bush. Bush. Baby Bush. And still kind of is. Um, <laughs> um, and so I said that and she's like, wait, do you really believe that this entire, like a political mindset cannot equate with a religious one? Mm-hmm. Do you not, do you not think that they can be both? And I just, I didn't have a good answer and I'm not about to argue. So I just kind of took a step back. Yeah. And, you know, that has carried through with me into my teaching career where she handled it in a way that's not like super accusatory, not super like, oh, you're so stupid. Like, how could you believe that? She was like, is that really what you believe? And in my experience, whenever like students come at me with these like kind of preconceived notions that I recognize from my past, I can ask them questions not with the goal of making them change their minds, but I just want them to think and yeah. think for themselves. Cause that's what, you know, public education is supposed to be that they think for themselves and formulate their own opinions. Right. Based on hopefully some facts, some facts. And some facts. you know, you can 
quote unquote, be a Democrat and be Christian. Absolutely. Like I Why still not? consider like myself a Christian mm-hmm. and I don't necessarily consider myself a Democrat. I vote in very specific ways. And mm-hmm. sometimes that is for the Democratic candidate. Yeah. But it's not a party allegiance. Right. right? It's this false dichotomy with my students. That that's kind of the mindset I bring with them. And I do see that in different ways in the different places that I've taught. Yeah. You know, I've taught in, you know, more rural areas. Yeah. And I see that much more in the rural areas. You know, I do believe that specific churches have more of a grasp on rural areas than they do on urban ones. Absolutely. Yeah. How else are your parents going to drop you off for a week in the summer? <laughs> you know, babys- like a free babysitter is what vacation Bible school is. Like, right. let's be honest. That's right. But it doesn't, it doesn't compromise their families. Correct. Yeah. And they don't have to go. That's right. Which, you know, is interesting to think about. Mm, is- but yeah, with my students in rural areas, you know, whenever we, you know, things that I discuss in class that can be controversial, we talk a lot about the rise of conservatism and, that was in like the 70s and 80s, starting in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And a lot of it had to do with these Southern evangelical leaders. They were all very much ingrained into this idea that they needed to change politics. Mm-hmm. And in my classes in this history, we, we need to talk about this. Like, it, you can't just say, oh, there was a rise in conservatism. It's really important that students know where it comes from. And it comes from these Southern evangelical leaders. And so whenever I would teach this, whenever we talked about this, students would push back a lot and say, like, no, that can be the only reason. Or you're saying that's a bad thing. And I'm like, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm just saying, here's what happened. Right. You know? I don't have an opinion on that in this classroom. (laughs) Correct. (laughs) But this is what happened. This is what happened. And they would get very upset. I do believe, you know, I, 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 I'm doing something right because I've never had like parent complaints or yeah. anything. I just want, and I tell my students this, I just want you to think for yourself. Right. Like you are high school students. Right. You need to think for yourself. Not yeah. like me who just kind of spouted in their 12th grade debate class, this rhetoric that my parents taught me, yeah. think for yourself before you speak and ask questions. And so that's kind of where I am as a teacher. Thinking about spewing out just what you hear. My parents are very big Fox, are still very big Fox News listeners and watchers. Mm -hmm. And I try to save my opinions on things like that. And so I will continue to save my opinions on things like that. That's not what this podcast is for. But what that meant was that I, that was the bulk of my worldview outside of my house and my church. Mm -hmm. That was my, that was other than books. That was what my window into the world was. And so I have this horror, I still get it back in I'm just horrified thinking about it. But when I was first getting my associate's degree to transfer, I was taking a class, like a sociology class, and we were talking about Islam. Mm-hmm. And you can imagine mm-hmm. the only thing I ever heard about people who practice the Muslim faith practice Islam like was not good. Yeah. Right. It was one sided. It was bigoted. Mm-hmm. It was primarily not based in fact. Right. It was based in, in an idea of trying to create fear for political gain. Mm-hmm. And so I wrote this four page paper. Oh wow. Where I laid out 
some horrifying views about what Islam teaches, most of which, and actually I would say all of which were not true, (laughs) were absolutely not true. Right. And I got the paper back and had a failing grade on it. And I'm kind of like you. I don't do that great. Right. So I was mortified. But I was so, like, I look back now, I'm so grateful to this teacher because she didn't just give me a bad grade and say something negative, right? She crossed through every single idea that was not based in fact and then explained it in the guidelines and attacked on a separate page going, hey, this is actually not true. This is what this actually is. And she explained it to me. And I just... I'm so grateful for that. <laughs> I'm mortified by my own behavior, but I'm so grateful that I had a teacher. And I had so many, I got really lucky. I had so many teachers over the years that were like, let me help you understand mm-hmm. something that you've never really experienced. And I'm just really so excited that your students get to have that too. And that's one of the things is I am too, because it very much could have happened differently. It very much could have been that I was the teacher coming in with, you know, these views that I thought, you know, we're taught that we have this mission and it's to spread God Mm. in any way possible, to spread the word, to spread the gospel in any way possible. And I think a lot of that when I, you know, when I announced my family that I was going to become a teacher, which was met with its own controversy. Really? It was. It's like the least controversial job. Well, because, and so... This kind of goes back to my family background, but I was pre-dental before. Oh. Yeah. I was pre-dental yeah. before. I was taking biology courses, calculus, chemistry, anatomy, all the whole nine yards. And it was too much. It was just too much. <laughs> and, you know, I really fell in love with my history courses, particularly this one course, um, Dr. Linson. He was fantastic. And changed a lot of my views in my freshman year you know my freshman year of college i was still going home like back to my parents house like almost every weekend so i was still attending that church almost every weekend and so i still had a lot of those views and so when i took this history course this is when something clicked in my brain that there are different experiences out there. And I know that seems silly for people that haven't been brought mm-hmm. up in kind of the life that we have, but we are told that it is our mission to do this to the world. To the entire to anyone who you can get to listen to. We need to homogenize the entire world. They all need to be, act, look, everything like us. Exactly the same. Yep. Exactly the same. Yeah. No differences. Yep. And so I always thought that it was kind of this me versus them this i'm doing what's right it's me and my people my community Mm -hmm. and everyone else just hadn't seen the light (laughs) everyone else just was waiting in darkness yeah just wait waiting to be rescued is kind of how i viewed it absolutely and it seems silly but as an 18 year old sitting in that class I had this brain click where it's like, no, people have their own stories. People have their own beliefs. People have their own gods. And these people have their own histories and ancestries. And you're not going to erase that. Ever. And why would you want to? Because it's beautiful. It's stunning. Right? Yes. 
And one of the reasons I actually chose the snake on mm-hmm. the logo, there's a lot of reasons, but one of the biggest ones is that I truly believe that there's something really magical about learning about something well enough that you stop fearing it. Mm-hmm. And that was a snake story for me. Like learning what a snake was and how they behaved helped me be way less terrified of their existence. And that is such a huge part of this podcast. And it's such a beautiful experience. I don't know about you, but when I was in college, I was learning about all these different cultures and things that I misunderstood and things that I really wanted to know, but just didn't. It was fuel. Yeah. Because there's so many things that you're regretting, that you're sad about, that you're confused about, you're traumatized, you have no idea what's wrong. <laughs> learning those things gave me the energy and the passion that I needed to get through some really difficult situations mm-hmm. that there were many times when I was like, I could quit. (laughs) This is terrible, but it was just so exciting to see people differently Mm -hmm. and to experience that in a new way. And, and that's exactly how I felt, you know, like, I think we had that similar experience where, you know, college did in this like education, this, you know, what some people are going to call, you know, or use in a very bad way, um, the secular education, secular. Oh my gosh. It's awful. (laughs) It's like, it's just a word. It's an adjective. Yeah. Like, it's just, what What do you want me to call it? But this secular education op- literally opened my eyes mm-hmm. um, to everything that I was missing. And so without it, you know, my parents were very upset that I chose not to be a dentist mm-hmm. because of the money portion aspect. I'm sure. You know, money was very much a part of our daily lives. Like, that's yeah. why I went to a public university instead of going to a private university, even though Furman and Pop Jones were very close yeah. um, to where I grew up. I went to a public university. That's where I got scholarships and it was cheap, you know, and I came out of university only with $5,000. So, I mean, I think I made the right choice. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that was the way to go. You know? For sure. And so that experience and that public education, it crafted who I am as a teacher, where I want them to see these different views. And I understand that they are in a very small world, whether they be in an evangelical regime, every student is in a small world. It's true. And unless their parents actively try to make their world larger. And I wanted to give that to my students. If they didn't get it at home, I want them to have this larger world and then they can make the decisions. Yeah. Like if you see the world around you, you understand the people around you, then you can make your decisions. Right. And if you choose that, at least you're making an educated choice. Correct. Okay. What's interesting to me, I think there's this, there's this far right talking point about kids who go to college and get liberalized. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's the story, right? I think what's happening is people who have very limited worldviews are all of a sudden seeing a lot of different kinds of people mm-hmm. with a lot of different belief systems and a lot of different cultural experiences. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, wow, the world is huge. The world's huge. Yep. And I have lived in this tiny microscopic portion of the world. I genuinely don't know what I'm talking about. Right. And I think that's a really important experience to have. But I don't know that I would call it liberalizing. I think that's. I think that's a little bit pouting, but I just, I think it's an important experience and I'm glad we had it. Right. So I, glad we had it. And I agree with you. I don't think it's liberalizing. I think it's just expanding. Right. And I think saying that it's liberalizing is just another way that evangelical conservatives yes. 
can, you know, it's another talking point in the culture wars is yes. they can say this thing bad. And so we need to put limits on it, which is what we're seeing in public education right now. Because it's a threat. It's a threat to them, to not them. to anything else. It's a beautiful thing. Right. But it's a threat to them, which can be scary. Of course. I thought it was a threat regardless of, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to feel it as a threat. Correct. Even if other people see it, it's still a threat to you. And it's valid. Absolutely. It's your experience. It's, it's exactly. It's your experience. And I'm not trying to invalidate anyone's experience. No. I'm just trying to, and that's what I tell my students. Like, you know, I don't want to invalidate anybody's experience. Here's my experience. Whenever I'm like teaching, I try to leave, you know, or I do leave politics out of it. That's why I don't think I've ever gotten phone calls from parents. Like, why'd you tell Ryan <laughs> this liberal thing? Yeah. Uh, you know, right. I've never had that. Right. Which I mean, huh. I knocked on wood. It sounded weird on the podcast, but I knocked on wood. I love it. (laughs) Um, So I'm curious, you work really hard to keep a neutral playing field in your classroom. But I'm curious if you have seen ways that religious beliefs Mm -hmm. have impacted what you're allowed to teach, what you teach, what the textbooks say. Have you seen that personally? I have. And it's going to be hard for me to separate evangelism and kind of the evangelist role in that okay. versus the evangelical conservatives role in that. Okay. Because like I said, in the 50s, 60s, 70s, um, there's this huge push for evangelicals to begin voting in a very specific way. And you know, and it turned out Republican, you know, the Republicans um, in that time period, they were having a really hard time building up a voter base. Mm-hmm. And, you know, along comes Pat Roberts, focus on the family. Yes. Focus on the family is James Dobson. James Dobson. Thank was... you. But, you know, they really started pushing for evangelicals to put a very specific way. Mm. And whenever I teach things like, Roe versus Wade. I just teach it as the facts. But one of the things that I always talk about, because we talk about Roe versus Wade in the context of this rise of conservatism, the leader, I believe it was the leader of the Southern Baptist Convention, said that Roe versus Wade was a good thing. He was happy. Roe versus Wade. Yes. They were happy that Roe versus Wade was happening to protect women because at the time, Unsafe abortions were killing a lot of women. The Southern Baptist Convention. What year was this? This what, what decade was this? Oh, uh, so Roe versus Wade was nineteen seventy-three. So seventies. That is not that long ago. No. And they were very much like that was their kind of official stance. Wow. Is was like this is going to save lives. That's phenomenal, right? And then, just a few years later. There started to be this push from Ronald Reagan to speak against Roe versus Wade. And that's when conservatives really were able to get evangelicals to vote Republican was by using Roe versus Wade. So the motivation was political. Very much so. Wow. Very much so. Wow. So using Roe v. Wade to get people to vote Republican. Mm-hmm. I get it. But was that, I wonder if there was something else. Like, what did they actually want? There, in that? 
there were a lot of decisions made by the Supreme Court in the 1960s and early 70s that a lot of Republicans and a lot of conservatives did not like. And so a lot of them were religiously based. Okay. The Supreme Court case, Ingle versus Vital, okay. for instance. Hold on, I took notes. I'm a history teacher, of course I had to of course. come up with notes. I remember Roe versus Wade's year off the top of my head. I don't remember other ones, so I apologize. Um, so Ingle versus Vital was in 1962. Okay. And the court ruled that it was unconstitutional for state officials to compose official school prayer and encourage its recitation in public schools. In 62? In 1962. Okay. So we had gone all the way up until 1962 and public education, public schools were allowed. It's not that they were required to, but they were allowed to encourage prayer. Okay. And it was Christian public prayer because, you know, there weren't a lot of public schools. It's that, America in the 60s where the correct. religion existed. Correct. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, so Ingle versus Vital happened in 1962. So, you know, conservatives and evangelicals were very upset yeah. by that. I mean, people still are. You can hear the oh, phrase, they need to put prayer back in back schools. Back in schools. Yep. Heard and it my whole life. It's like, it's not, it's not out. Students can still pray. If they want to. If they want to. There is nothing wrong. I have a student right now, literally right now, that every day after class, she says, God bless you. I'm like, thank you. That's so nice. I say, thank you. That is very sweet. She comes from a very good place. I'm not going to sit there and bash her and be like, no, I don't. I love God. Mm-hmm. You know, that is kind of, I'm still in my spiritual journey. But students are allowed to do that because it's freedom of speech. Their First Amendment rights are protected. Yeah. But they also were protected from having to pray to a very specific God. Mm. And so that was Ingle versus Vital. Abington School District versus Shemp was in 1963. And they decided that the schools could not sponsor Bible reading. Well, that makes sense. Correct. Because, again, that would be a public institution paid for by thousands and millions of taxpayers mm-hmm. supporting one specific religion which is against the Constitution. Fascinating point you just made, David. You know, it's unconstitutional. It's just this, you know, to me, it is very simple. It is very simple. That the government of the United States, that included that the United States will never establish a state-run religion. Mm -hmm. They also say that they're not going to force a state religion or any religion on students. It's a concept. That is that is sensible. I, I would also agree with that. Statement. <laughs> um, within the public schools, you know, it's interesting. Um, one of the first schools I taught at had a Bible class where it was the Christian Old Testament um, and the Christian New Testament. Because okay. also Jewish Old Testament. They had one quarter on the Old Testament, one quarter on the New Testament. Okay. And when I first found out about this, I was like, Whoa, how are we allowing, how are we paying for a teacher to teach students about one specific religious text? And I found out the people in this town actually paid for the teacher separately from state funds. It's still in state funding buildings. Correct. But students were not required to take it. Okay. Did it count towards electives or anything like that? It counted as an elective credit. I, I will accept it as an elective. Yeah, exactly. Sure, why not? It's the reading literature. 
it was their reading literature. And, you know, the teacher I knew that taught it when I was there mm-hmm. was just happy to have a job. And, you know, just came at it from here's what it says. And here's the history behind it. Here's what we're going to learn about it. But I still thought it was interesting, it was interesting. that that was allowed. And not to the fault of the voter or the people that paid for it, but I'm assuming that if a group of Hindi parents got together and they said they were also going to pay for a teacher to teach about their religion and their religious texts, I th- I feel like there would be more of an uproar. You think? And I think we should do a whole semester on the Quran. You get upset project. that they teach about it in one day. Yeah. They do. Parents get upset that their student has to learn about Islam and the pillars of Islam in a world history class. It's world history. It's a world history class. There is no world history without Islam. Islam, I believe, is the most practiced religion in the world. Like yes. By, just by pure numbers of people. Yes. So I would believe you would have to talk about it in a world history It has class. shaped the world. Yeah. And it has the same roots as Christianity. Imagine. Savage. How could you, how could you despise God so much that you would say, I'm just vomiting out what I would prefer. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. And so that is, you know, kind of not the extent, you know, there are different teachers that, you know, will have Bible verses up in their room, which I believe is, in, in my opinion, that is fine. Sure. If you can have an inspirational quote. Correct. Still a belief. My problem with things like that come with, you know, teachers then being told that they can't have like a gay pride flag in their mm. room. So you can have a Bible quote. And I'm not saying that gay pride is a religion. I know it's they are very right. different things, but it's still a personal expression of that teacher. Right. And so why is one now? And then as far as, you know, its effect on the curriculum, I believe that it has affects it, it depends on where you are. I know in the district that I am teaching in right now, they are not allowed in biology classes. They are allowed to teach evolution. They are allowed to teach natural selection. They are not allowed under any circumstance to say the name Charles Darwin. What? There was a parent that complained in this county about Charles Darwin. What about him? About the teachings of evolution and that they came from this person. Okay. And so the county is like, we still have to allow our teachers to teach evolution. It is part of the because curriculum it's because it's science. It is biology. Right. But they conceded and said that they will not allow their biology teachers to teach Charles Darwin's theory of evolution. They can teach the theory of evolution, but not Charles Darwin's theory of evolution. I don't understand why that distinction is necessary. I don't either. It's really nonsensical. But it has those religious backgrounds. Where well, Charles Darwin had a religious background. Right. He was Christian. Right. None of his teachings were like, this means that God doesn't exist. Correct. He very much, like his experiences, in my experience of reading Charles Darwin, very much connected him with God. Mm-hmm. Even and closer, the wonder like, this is the of God. That God exists. Look at all these amazing things that God makes happen in the world. How beautiful is this very intricate system mm-hmm. that God created? Like, that's. Wow. And so it's things like that. And you're going to find it more at the local level yeah. than you are really at the national level. So it's it's just super interesting. You know, it's it's these these battles that happen where they 
you know, parents that say that they are religious, they do not want certain books in libraries that feature gay characters. They don't want the, like the Ten Commandments taken down in classrooms. Okay. And that's that's kind of it. Like it's 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 a lot of anecdotal stuff, but okay. and it's so it's so hard. And this is what I said at the beginning. It's so hard to separate from the political things because I believe they got so married. Yeah. In the 60s, 70s, 80s, that it's hard to separate them again. They're the same. It's a two-headed dragon, it's, right? <laughs> it's just very intertwined. Yeah. I'm not surprised by any of it, but it's still mm-hmm. hard to hear. It's, you know, the way I first even learned about evolution at all was at church mm-hmm. because I sat through a one-week-long seminar with an anti-evolution airport scientist. Um who spent the entire week giving passionate sermons, quote, again, air quote, debunking mm. the theory of evolution, and ended up with a three-inch thick, tiny print book with all of the evidence, again, air quotes, evidence, that it could not be true. That was supposed to be like my sword against I mean, secular science. Of course, of course. Because science is secular. <laughs> <laughs> And so I'm not surprised by any of it, mm-hmm. but that was so long ago. Like we're talking almost 20 years ago. Yeah. So that's what happened for me. And so you think maybe it'll get better. Mm-hmm. It hasn't gone. <laughs> well, and you know, Christian groups are so involved in our public education yeah. right now, at least in my experience. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I was in high school, we had fellowship of Christian athletes where Christian athletes would get together in a club led by someone okay. and um, like a teacher. And I don't know what they did because I was not an athlete. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, we much, were the kids. Yeah. Much to the chagrin of my parents, you know, Same. and maybe that's why they wanted me to be a dentist. They're like, well, at least the book kid will make us money. No, no. <laughs> just smart for the sake of it. Just, you know, smart for the sake of it. Yeah. But fellowship Christian athletes would gather together and it was like the cool kids. You know, the cool kids would be seeing. Mm. I don't know how much Christian things they did other than, you know, I, I know they read biblical scripture and I'm assuming talked about it. Young life is oh, something yeah. as a teacher I have experienced. Um, and the concept of young life. So for those of you that don't know young life, their whole model is to send young or so like early 20s. Mm-hmm. I'm going to objectively say this, but I don't. Um, <laughs> attractive looking individuals, mm-hmm. men and women, to go into high schools, public high schools. Okay. Like, literally, when I say go in, like they get visitor passes and they will really? be in the cafeteria. Ooh. These like young, 20 attractive people will be in school cafeterias talking to students. Me? Yes. And it, it's got some ick factor to me. It, um, yeah, I agree. <laughs> like, I have bad taste in my mouth after you. <laughs> you know, we're worried about people coming into the schools. Well, here's a They're group, actually doing Literally coming into the schools. And their whole goal is to recruit these young kids to come to Young Life camps and Young class. Uh, young life, like getaway weekends. Mm-hmm. And I do believe it's a really good opportunity for some students because it's paid for in, in some cases. Really? Um, yeah. Some of my students that don't have a lot will go because they get food. Uh, you know, it 
comes back to this idea of community um, where they don't feel like they belong. And so they go and go to these camps, they go to these getaways and it's um, separated by boys and girls. And um, at least in the experience, I I know about it. I, I will say that disclaimer, I do not know a lot about it because I never went to one, but yeah, they go to these, they go, they go there and they hear speakers, they study the Bible, they pray, they sing songs, like, you know, what we would experience in a Christian youth camp, they are experiencing young life. Okay. And I'm not here to say young life is bad, but I am saying it's another aspect of Christianity that has gotten in schools that I do not believe other worldly religions would be allowed to do the same thing. I was just thinking that I was just thinking if you, these Christian recruiters are coming in to school mm-hmm. and recruiting people to their meetings. Mm-hmm. If a Muslim recruiter walked into an American school and tried to recruit children to a mosque for a meeting, the uproar would be insane. Correct. We would be hearing about it. For years, school board meetings are already like knockdown, drag out fights in some cases. And if parents got wind of this and it went before a school board for approval for the, that group to be able to come to the schools, no, it would be a no. Absolutely a no. Uh, probably close to a unanimous no. Correct. Wow, shocking. It, it is, but it's also not like most school children will know. Most public school children will know every single morning. One of the first things that they have to do is listen to the Pledge of Allegiance. And in the Pledge of Allegiance, there is the peace under God, um, which, fun fact, was added in the 50s. Right. I remember learning that in college and it blowing my mind. I was curious. Right. I was curious. Because I remember, so the teacher I mentioned earlier that corrected, not corrected me, but like made me question some things. Mm -hmm. There was one time, so in my high school, the student body president, I believe, he read the Pledge of Allegiance. He was the one that led it, or she, uh, but in my case, it was he. And he was sick one day, and so she was up in the front office, I guess, and she read it, and she left out under God when she said it. And I remember, oh, I was mad. I was, yes. I was like, I had this righteous anger. Where oh. I was like, how dare she leave this out? This is history. It's not even about God. Oh, history. Oh. And then, you know, I learned at colleges in the 50s, it was added um, to further combat uh, the communist state. Because, okay. yeah, be, so because. It's a loose connection. Well, in the USSR and in China, they had state run atheism oh. as part of their governments. I did not know that. Right. Um, it is fascinating. I don't I don't know how I feel about it, but it, it's, it's interesting. I don't like governments. Sponsor talking about belief systems. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. We don't need it. And so the people, the powers that be, including Dwight Eisenhower, he wanted under God added because he wanted to root America firmly in this patriotic, but also Christian mindset that you know countered the communist atheist mindset. Interesting. And so by doing so, at least in my humble opinion, he started this process of equating, you know, God and believing in God with patriotism and loving your country. Interesting. Right. And so we say it every morning, which I actually just learned this in preparation of this podcast. (laughs) In 2006, North Carolina created a law that required 
require the Pledge of Allegiance to be recited daily. 2006? 2006. That's way later than I would have guessed. Right. I think there was this resurgence of patriotism, Mm. which included saying, requiring the recitation of the Pledge of Allegiance. And 47 states and the District of Columbia require it, have laws requiring the recitation of the Pledge of Allegiance. There are only four states that do not require it. Wow. Yeah. I'm going to have to look up which ones those are. Maybe I'll put it in the show notes. Yes. Uh, Nebraska. Hawaii. Yeah, Nebraska. Hawaii, I understand. Hawaii. Vermont. I get that one too. Wyoming. Mind blown. Right? Never would have... Two of those I never would have guessed. Two I totally did. Midwestern states and Western against Wyoming. Wow. Yeah, they do not require it. There is no law officially requiring it. And the rest of the states, you know, they vary on how much they require it. But most states, um, there was a Supreme Court case that said that students were not forced to stand and recite it. Okay. So students cannot be forced to stand for the Pledge of Allegiance. They they also cannot be forced to recite the Pledge of Allegiance. Okay. But schools, public schools and charter schools are you know, required to have the Pledge of Allegiance read every single time school is in session. Wow. And so these students are getting this one piece constantly, this under God piece constantly, which I think is constant. You know, it's it's not a conscious effort on this fact of the schools, I think at this point. It's just kind of ingrained in US society the Pledge of Allegiance. Yeah, definitely. Going back to the under God being added, mm-hmm. I'm curious, there's really no way I think to probably quantify this, but I feel like I grew up hearing a lot and I still, no, I definitely grew up hearing a lot and I still hear a lot that we were founded as a Christian nation, mm-hmm. that our founding fathers intended for this to be a Christian nation, that they were Christians, which is fascinating to me mm-hmm. because they absolutely, maybe a few, but like most very much were not. At least the way practicing, not it. the way we think about it, right? Exactly. Um, and I almost wonder if adding that in fueled some of that belief system, like, oh yeah, this was meant to be a Christian If it's in our founding, if it's in our pledge, mm-hmm. then this must have been the intention from the beginning. Yeah, because I don't think people know it was added in the fifties. No, I, I would say they probably don't. Right. You know, I believe God is mentioned in the Declaration of Independence. Sure, which is you know. I think a lot of people also confuse the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. And the Constitution, yes. Which, if people need to read up on those things, they're very different. One is <laughs> like, different. hey, here's the structure of our government. And then the other is, England, I hate you for these reasons. Right. It's a war document. It's a war declaration. Or yeah. breakup documents, how I talk about it. Oh, I like that. War documents. <laughs> um, <laughs> breakup documents great though you know, i have to relate to these kids like, listen uh, it's not me it's you right <laughs> i mean we all i mean i didn't because i'm gay but uh we all had those letters that you wrote breaking up with someone in high school or at least i saw them really yeah people would write just pages upon pages oh of, my god and i was like, homeschooled i did not experience oh that's that. fair uh yeah. i didn't either um, this is my first time hearing about the breakup letter the, oh gosh it was a big deal by the time i was dating it was just ghosting which i honestly prefer to a letter just disappear yeah, I, don't I don't care I, that much i don't need you to tell me all my flaws i know that thank <laughs> please, you please i'm super aware <laughs> i grew up independent of baptist i know every single one of my flaws yeah. every day thank uh-huh, you that's all right. <laughs> told me everybody told me <laughs> okay so i feel like i'm gonna know the answer to this oh okay great <laughs> because i think we've touched on it quite a bit over this i still want to ask what you know education was a big part of you leaving 
could you give us a more in-depth explanation of why, what really started to pull you out mm-hmm. of your particular beliefs in that you grew up in the Southern Baptist belief system? And kind of where are you at now? So what pulled me out, it's a combination of things. I remember sitting in church um, one time and hearing my pastor say he was giving this whole message. I don't remember. Um, but he was giving this whole message and somewhere in the message came up about interracial marriage. Ooh. And, you know, because the church for a long time fought against interracial marriage. And I say the church very loosely, yeah. but fought against interracial marriage. Yeah. Um, it wasn't until, again, the 60s yeah. when the Supreme Court said states cannot discriminate based on race where they cannot say they cannot not issue a marriage certificate to people of different races that want to get married. Not that long ago. The sixties. That is not very long ago. It's like sixty years. Um Loving versus Virginia, which is why Virginia is yeah. for lovers is the whole phrase. Oh. Okay. But I remember him preaching and he I, I wasn't really paying attention, but he said something that really kind of got my attention. And he said that while he didn't disagree with a black individual and a white individual was the main two races that we were talking about mm-hmm. um, getting married that they shouldn't because if they had a child, it would cause the child to be confused about being a human by not belong oh. to either race. Interesting. And, you know, I do think, it, it, it's strange because I do think that there are some psychological studies that, you know, have looked at those things. And like, yeah, there is kind of, it, it is hard for a lot of people because of our society. Right. That aspect is hard for them. But that's not the place it was coming from. Because you end up not feeling like you fit in. Correct. With anyone. Right. Yeah. I've heard um, that many times. But that's not the place it's coming from. Like, he's coming from this place of, you know, it's just not, I think he used the words, it's not natural. Oh, correct. Oh, and when I heard that, I it, it was like I was just like I did like this you know '90s sitcom double take where it's like whoa, uh huh, you know. And so that's where I started, you know, in my own mind question, where it's like you know it wasn't big. I was just questioning the church. I was a gay teenager that believed I needed to be cured. Would cry myself to sleep multiple nights because I believed I had this disease and I couldn't talk about it with anyone because if I did, I would either get in trouble. I felt like I would get in trouble or I would have to go and talk to the pastor, which did happen to actually somebody that went to my church. I will not say who, but somebody that it did happen to somebody that I know. I will not say who. Yeah. But they, their parents found something. I don't really know what it was. I think it was a letter or something and made them sit with the pastor and to talk about it. And I didn't want that to happen to me. Of course not. And I was so deep in it that I was sitting at lunch and <laughs> I think you know where this is going. I You've do, heard this story. Because we share some friends. We do share some friends. Some I love, wonderful friends. I love this person. I know you too. Um, She's and, actually, people know who she is. Oh, I love Because Jenna. she and we meet from our website. 
I love gymnast. I love gymnast. Um, she smacked me though. She uh, shut up. She shut up. So <laughs> context is always important. Um, so I was sitting there at lunch with her and one of my best friends and her best friend. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how the conversation came up, but I very clearly said, I do believe that because of their choices, gay people will go to hell. And she smacked you. And she slapped me. Yeah. And I did not know why. Maybe she did not stand up for her beliefs. I, she will protect dude, people. She is. She I is very protective. And so I was just confused and shocked. And I didn't find out until years later that it was because my best friend and her friend had just come out to her. Oh, wow. He came out to her as gay. Wow. He was sitting at that table and I made that statement. Mm-hmm. And so she sent it. And when I found that out, I was like, good. Yeah. Because... Not only did I say something very hurtful to him, Mm -hmm. to myself, but also I should have known that time. He felt more comfortable telling someone else than me. And, you know, that was hard for me to hear. And that was in college. And so I would say, like, that's another moment where it's, like, starting to pull me away. And honestly, you know, with the class, knowing people from different backgrounds and knowing about their religions and what they believe and how they are healthy and whole people, which I didn't believe you could be whole without the Christian Jesus. Right. But knowing that these are, because I don't know if anybody knows the donut man. Oh yeah. The God-shaped hole in your heart. Yeah. You have a hole in the middle of your heart. Mm -hmm. And my child brain was like, oh, they're not whole. Um, They're not real. They're zombies waiting for me to save them. But when I met them and when, honestly, I stopped going to a Southern Baptist church, Mm -hmm. you know, I infrequently went to non-denominational churches, which my parents were very upset with. Oh, yeah. That's like a big no-no. Find a Baptist church. Right. They don't stand for anything. They listen to godless music. They're just trying to appease people. Right. They're just trying to fit in. Yeah. And it's like, (laughs) Right. Everybody the hates them. Sucks, like. <laughs> I mean, I still remember some of that music. I will concede. <laughs> Amy Grant. Okay, I'll give you Amy Grant. Thank you. Okay. No, I'll give you Amy Grant. Love her. Um, but yeah, so I think it wasn't, you know, I think some people will have that moment, that one boom defining moment. Yeah. It was very gradual for me. Yeah. So where I think it was after college, you know, I didn't accept myself as gay until I was 26 years old. Wow. 26. I didn't realize it was that late. It was that late. And it took me moving to another country for me to accept it. Wow. Because I knew no one. And so I could be who I was. And it it was sad because I was so terrified of all of my friends Mm -hmm. thinking different of me. You know, my best guy friends, even my best girlfriends. I was like, I just, I was terrified of telling them. And every single one accepted me. Every single one. Because you're a wonderful human being. And that, like, even that was another pull away from the church because I was told I wouldn't be accepted. And there you are being accepted more than you were in the church. And I'm like, what is more Christ like? My friends telling me they accept me for who I am Mm. or this church telling me I'm going to go to hell? I'm getting longer. Yeah. Yeah. I think think that's more Christ like. So, where are you at now? I'm still trying to figure it out. Yeah. Um, my husband and I are. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I also agree with that statement. Um, no, my husband and I, we encourage each other yeah. spiritually, which is what the Bible tells us to do, right? Wow. Uh, you know, it's what a what, biblical life you lead. You know, mm-hmm. model 
Christian here. Uh, <laughs> I don't believe I am, but um, you know, we're all flawed. Uh, but we encourage each other spiritually. We try to go to church as much as we can. We're still trying to find what that means for us. Right. What church we want to be involved in, what groups of people we want to be involved in. Yeah. Um, because that's a community. Church has always been a community. And both of us have lost that community. Yeah. Fun fact, that's the number one thing. I did a massive study on this and they asked people what they gained and what they lost when they left the church. And the, really one of the only answers people gave was the loss of community is the downside yeah. to leaving. And everything else was just like, I have my freedom. I have mm-hmm. my life. I have, I get to do what I you know love. And the rest was just, I really miss the community. And I will give credit to my home church yeah. as a whole have been very welcoming. We, wow. you know, we've gone for Christmas services or Easter services. Okay. Not much because of just not agreeing with some of the things that political things being taught from the pulpit. Um, But on the whole, you know, there have been these, you know, huge bright spots of acceptance, which gives me faith and hope. Absolutely. You know, this one woman in particular, she messaged me on Facebook and she's like, I heard you guys. And I'm so thrilled. Oh. I'm so happy for you. I'm I'm so proud of you. When we went to that church, she hugged us both. She told my husband that he better take care of me or he's going to have to deal with her. I agree. And it was just this moment of that was my community. And it felt good that they were still there. And so it also is encouraging that we can find a community again. That is encouraging. So that's, that's kind of where I'm at. So there are two questions yep. that I ask every guest. Nobody's surprised by this at this point. <laughs> but what do you see clearly now that you didn't see when you were the most involved in it, when you're the most in it? I hope that this is not cliche at this point. I don't. Everybody I don't says know. something different. You know, I, 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 okay. Mm-hmm. Well, I hope I'm not the first to say something. That's a lot of pressure. I'm sorry. I didn't know. No, it's fine. On my episode first, if I am. No. <laughs> I want to be the first. I want to be the first. Um, I can see clearly that Jesus is love. I'm the first person to say that. Really? I and you know it. I think it sounds horny because most people are like you should have known that being in it. No. And maybe Jesus, yes, but we are more taught in to fear God. Yeah. That God is wrath. Mm-hmm. That God is vengeance. That God is punishment. That God has given me this disease that I am supposed to suffer through. My own mother told me that it would be better that I was just celibate. Oh. Um, she's like, that's fine that you have those thoughts. You just need to be celibate. Mm. And now I can see clearly who Jesus is. That Jesus is love. That mm. Jesus is that woman in church accepting me and giving my husband a hug and acknowledging us for who we are. Yeah. You know, that is Jesus. Jesus is, it is. And it's validating in a way Mm -hmm. that, you know, my church, my parents, my community at that time have some things right. Yeah. Because that, and why are we not celebrating? That's definitely worth it. So yeah, so that's what I see clearly. 
So our last question of this phenomenal time I've had with you <laughs> is what are some of your greatest moments or even just one greatest moment of joy that you've had in this journey of leaving and kind of rebuilding your life? Oh gosh. There's so many. There are, and I feel like I gave away some of them. That's okay. I didn't know this question ahead of time. You did not surprise me. So <laughs> I, I try not to. I try not to. Should save the best for last. Um, <laughs> try to dump surprises on people um, in a traumatic moment. <laughs> moment of joy. Can you repeat it for me? Yeah. What are some of your greatest moments, or a great moment of joy that you've had in your rebuilding your life and your faith post? Southern Baptist indoctrination. Yeah, I think probably my greatest joy is having a partner to do that with, of loving that person, of marrying that person. Mm, that's such a beautiful thing, too. Thank you. <laughs> and, you know, knowing that and feeling, you know, truly, truly feeling that this is right, that. It's sanctioned by Jesus. Yeah. If Jesus is love, and if I see love and feel love when I look at my husband, what greater joy is that? And knowing that so many people, so many of my queer students will experience that one day, you know, regardless of what they are in now, regardless of what their background is, that's really, really joyful and something that I think we should be celebrating as a nation, I agree. Instead of trying to tear down, sorry. <laughs> I'm not sorry. Thank you, thank you so much for sharing that. Of course, I am only ever so amazed by you and your husband. I've learned from you both. I love you both. And thank you for doing this. Thank you. I appreciate this. Thank you for tuning in to this episode and being on this journey with me. You can find resources and links in the show notes. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe, rate, and review, and follow along on social media to help us grow. Now I See is independently funded by me. If you'd like to help support the show, you can donate directly or purchase a merch item on the website. Music for this episode was made by Alana Sabatini, a former faithful and talented musician. And finally, this podcast is made possible by the incredible team at Softer Sounds, a feminist podcast studio for entrepreneurs and creatives, providing technical skill with tender support.